The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Quantum Business Insights, emerging perspectives on people, process, and profits. Your host is Olivia Parr-Rood. In today's fast-paced, high-tech global economy, the business landscape is constantly evolving. To be successful, companies must continually adapt as well as identify and exploit new opportunities. Now, here is the host of Quantum Business Insights, Olivia Parr-Rood. Hi, Olivia here, and welcome to Quantum Business Insights, where each week we explore new perspectives on the changing nature of business with thought leaders from around the world, and with a special emphasis on what I consider to be our most valuable asset, our human capital. And today, I'm thrilled to have as my guest, Kevin Cruz, and we'll be discussing something very important to me, wholehearted leadership. Before we get started, let me tell you a little bit about Kevin. With a dream to become the next Bill Gates, Kevin started his first company when he was just 22 years old. He worked around the clock, literally living in his one-room office and showering at the local YMCA, and finally giving up a year later deeply in debt. But after discovering the power of wholehearted leadership, he went on to build and sell several multi-million dollar companies that have won both Inc. 500 awards for fast growth and best place to work awards for employee satisfaction. He's a New York Times bestselling author of four books and a leading columnist for Forbes. And I'm thrilled to have Kevin with us today. So, Kevin, welcome to Quantum Business Insights. Thanks, Olivia. I'm honored to be uh, here, and thank you for spreading the message. Oh, my pleasure. So, one of my motivations for the radio show is to highlight how the economic environment is very different than it was a few decades ago, and the old models of leadership no longer work and that the new models are not only allowing us to be more successful, but perhaps empowering us to live happier, more inspired lives. So how do you define wholehearted leadership, and how can it help us be successful and happier? Yeah, that's a great place to start. Um, you know, to me, you know, wholehearted leadership is, um, it, it's, there's really two sides to it. Part of it is being authentic uh, uh, as as the leader, and and I believe you know part of being authentic is being vulnerable. Uh, you don't have to have that armor on or that mask on as the boss or the CEO. You know you're you're allowed to be yourself. Uh, you're allowed to be mindful, um, and so there's the 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 being side. You know how you are as a person, and then the other side is behaviors, and I think wholehearted leadership behaviors have to do with then um, uh, creating a, an environment that engages your your team members, your your employees. Um, so it's it, it's two sides. I mean, wholehearted leadership is what's going on inside of me as as a leader. You know, the the being, and then also behaviors that are observable uh, uh, from the outside. And you know, to your point, I think. Um, 
boy, you know, for a long time, I think people were confused and and uh, practiced a leadership model that you know whether it came from command and control military or just uh, count the widgets from the from the factory floor. Um, it, it was a model that was was dominant for many, many, many decades and through the industrial uh, time. But as you as you say, it's a whole whole new flat world, right? With globalization and technology like like this that lets us communicate and work together, you know, thousands of miles apart. Um, and so, with the the more, more options in the talent pool, more options, uh, enabling options that let us work wherever we want. That whole command and control and I need to watch you and count what you're doing, you know, that that doesn't work anymore. It certainly doesn't mm-hmm. help you to attract the best talent, and it's not going to help you to get the most from that talent. So that's, to me, the, the great potential of wholehearted leadership. It's really a model for this new world of work that we are all in. Well, that makes so much sense, and I also think one of the things driving it is just, as you were saying, there's so many technologies and so many varieties of of people's talent and options of types of work that a single manager or even a small team couldn't even begin to embrace all of that to make all the decisions at the top. So I think they have to empower people at every level to be making decisions in their area of specialty. Does that make sense? That's right. It, it, it does. I had the opportunity to see uh, Doug Conant, who's a great leader. He used to run Campbell Soup, uh, do a presentation recently. And, and that's exactly how he started. He said, you know, think about everything you want to accomplish in life, everything you want to accomplish in your organization. Mm-hmm. You know, raise your hand if you can do it all right. by yourself. <laughs> and of exactly. course, nobody can raise their hand. So he said, you know, then by default, we need to be working on the people thing, the people part, because we will only succeed. We will only have that impact if we can work through and with, you know, other other people. Yeah, like what CEO could do the job of the CTO or the right, CFO? Exactly. You can't. And can't. And I have seen companies collapse because the CEO and the CTO get in a fight, and the CTO leaves with all the knowledge of the computer systems, and it's kind of over quickly. So. Yeah, yeah, that's a terrible spot to be in. <laughs> well, so I mentioned in my introduction that you started your business when you were very young and didn't achieve what you'd hoped, and then you kind of discovered this um, this idea of wholehearted leadership and employee engagement. Uh, and that from that point on, you were very successful. I'd love to know how you started to discover these things because you seem like you did discover them at a young age. And um, so you were must have been um, aware of things that maybe a lot of 23, 24-year-olds are not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think, uh, um, you know, I consider myself a student of leadership and always will be. So, I, I, you know, my understanding of leadership has evolved and the level of success has increased as my understanding has evolved. So, you know, you were kind when you said my initial ventures didn't didn't work out the way I wanted to. I mean, I absolutely failed. I mean, I, <laughs> you know, as you said, I thought it was going to be easy. You know, I was this young, young guy and it was, you know, 25 years ago. And I, you know, I went out to Las Vegas, saw this famous, you know, predicting the future speech from Bill Gates. And just, I mean, technology's been on a roll ever since. And I just thought, okay, you know, this is this is hitting the gold rush and I can do it. And I've read tons of books and I'm willing to work. I'm a smart guy. And, um, 
but I had no money. So as you mentioned, I was sleeping under my desk, getting up and showering at the YMCA, and I you know worked every single day you know for for a year. And uh, at the end of that year, you know, looking into that YMCA mirror, there was no Bill Gates looking back at me. And I finally just realized, you know, I was no closer to not just success, but even giving myself a paycheck. I mean, I was just getting deeper and deeper into debt. And, um, you know, I, I was young and dumb. And so, I, you know, I didn't want to hire people. And when I worked with people, I wanted to save every dollar. I thought that was what you were supposed to do is negotiate and win. Uh, I, you know, I, I had control issues, you know, all of these things. And I went out of business. And the next business didn't do that great either. And it was only through... Um, not giving up on my business dreams, but just giving up on thinking that I was the guy that was going to make it happen. And I slowly started to see uh, other people and started to meet, you know, successful business people and millionaires and others. And I would watch them. And, and even to this day, I probably embarrass you. I just ask them questions, you know, secrets to their success, secrets to leadership. Mm. And um, that's when I started getting initial clues around, listen, just exactly what you said, you know, you, even if you are a little technically bright, Kevin, there is someone out there who knows is a better CTO than you. So you've got to hire them and get out of their way. You know, you might know a little bit about marketing, but there's someone out there that's better at just marketing. Than you. You've got to work with them. And um, so building a staff and a team and paying more than I was comfortable with and, and being patient to find the right people, that talent part was the first part. And um, then uh, one of my companies was acquired by uh, Conexa, which um, uh, they themselves were acquired by IBM uh, about a year ago. Um, but they were doing employee engagement research. And it seemed like voodoo to me at first. I mean, I hadn't been exposed to it. And they were initially the ones that then, I, you know, I started looking at their research and their training and Gallup and others. And uh, I became a decent manager at that point. Um, but even, you know, I continue to evolve. And, and, you know, in the last five years, my journey has been, um, you know, I think I had the behaviors part down, but I was losing the inner game. And so, you know, whether it's reading, you know, books about vulnerability from Brene Brown, you know, whether it's um, uh, experiencing mindfulness and gratitude and understanding how, you know, that can make your colleagues uh, feel better in your presence. You know, the journey has continued. And, you know, so I've sort of evolved with my understanding of, of, of uh, leadership, you know, over the last 20 years. Wow. And, you know, there, what I love, too, because I think all these things are so powerful, but the science even backs it up. There was an article in the Harvard Business Review years ago that said that if a manager felt empathy for their direct report, let's say, their mirror neurons synced up in the brain. So, That's right. Yeah. So it's more of this kind of which, you know, the name of my show is Quantum Business Insights because I think quantum physics can explain a lot and evolutionary biology can explain a lot of the the um, the science behind what we're experiencing so to me yeah it's and it's only been in the last few years where the the medical tools have become cheap enough for social you know scientists to start to use them and you know neuro leadership is a hot field right now um doing exactly as you say you know really understanding what's going on uh, uh at a chemical level you know as, mm -hmm. as we do some of these behaviors that's really um fun for me i love the science piece of it so in your book, it's called We, 
How to Increase Performance and Profits Through Full Engagement. Great title. Um, you talk about the risks of a disengaged workplace. So what are some of those risks? And, and I'm, I'm sure, you know, there's solutions we've already mentioned, but just, you know, what are some ways we can deal with that? Yeah. And, and when we talk, talk about, you know, the risks, there's also the opportunity if we can, you know, re- reverse that. So, it, you know, two sides of the same same uh, coin. And um, when, you know, engagement is, it's a feeling, it's a feeling of, of emotional commitment to our company and our company's goals. And when we are emotionally committed uh, to the company we work for, the organization we work for, we're going we're gonna to have an owner's mindset. You know, this is my place. This is our place. We are in this together. And so, you know, if you're not engaging your workforce, um, <laughs> then you're not going to be, um, they, they will not always have your best interests at heart. You flip that around when they're fully engaged, you're getting their discretionary effort. So your, your engaged salespeople will make just as many cold calls on a, on a Friday afternoon as they would, uh, a, a Monday, um, uh, afternoon. I, I, you know, a, a service person will work just as hard um, at, at 5 p.m. when they should be heading out the door. When they get that customer phone call, they'll stay late and handle that. Uh, programmers will, you know, if they're working on a software module, you know, they will leave good comments and leave the module cleaner than when they found it. So those who come, you know, after her will understand the work. So the the risks of a disengaged workforce, well, first of all, you know, they're going to they're going to talk badly about your company in the marketplace. They're going to look for a new job, so your retention rates are going to be higher. But then keeping disengaged workers, that's the most dangerous thing because they're going to be the ones slacking off. They're going to be the ones that are that are cutting corners. They're going to be the ones that are, you know, forgetting to put their hard hat on and have a, mm. have a safety, you know, incident. So that's where um, it really is uh, this quote-unquote soft stuff leads to hard hard business results because you're tapping that discretionary effort. Well, so <clears throat> given that, how do you see, and maybe there's just some rules or maybe you could give an example. I can see that they have to be motivated, maybe even rewarded. Does that play out in a compensation or some kind of ritual or like, what have you seen that works around that? Yeah, and, that, and that's really the big the big question. And surprisingly, we um, uh, don't see a big correlation between compensation and engagement. Now, let me qualify that and say, yeah, it does come down to a fairness level. Mm-hmm. So if I feel that someone doing my same job is making ten to twenty or more percent more than me, well, I'm going to perceive that as unfair, and that could be. Mm-hmm disengaging. But as long as pay is on par with competition, on par with other people doing the same job, it's completely not correlated to engagement. What we did was we looked at, um, we did a study, 10 million workers in 150 countries, you know, what I think is the biggest study of engagement in, in the world. And there, there are 10 drivers of engagement, but most of it come back to uh, growth recognition and trust. You know, do I feel like I'm growing, I'm learning, I'm advancing in my career? Uh, Recognition, do I feel appreciated by my boss and peers? And trust isn't so much about ethics. It's more about, you know, I trust that our industry is a strong industry. I trust that our company has a bright future. 
uh, and I trust that that my job is secure. It's sort of a future confidence. So those are the three big drivers of of engagement. Well, that's very inspiring. And um, we just have about a minute before the break. So maybe what I may want to do is go to break because when we come back, I'd like to maybe hear if you have some great examples of companies that are doing this well. So just to reintroduce you, my guest today is Kevin Cruz. We're talking about wholehearted leadership and we'll be right back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Does your business, like many, face obstacles to becoming successful? Would you love to have an open forum of entrepreneurial ideas and best practices brought to you each week? Tune in for The Second Stage with hosts Brendan Anderson and Jeffrey Cadlick. We'll spotlight entrepreneurs and growing companies that are creating a vibrant economic base, as well as addressing some of the obstacles that could be standing in the way of your success. Listen Mondays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Now there's a new destination for video content, voiceamerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us support you. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to Quantum Business Insights with Olivia Parr-Rood. To reach the program with questions or comments, please send an email to show at oliviagroup.com. That's show at oliviagroup.com. Now, back to... To Quantum Business Insights. Hi, Olivia here, and I'm back with my, my guest, Kevin Cruz. We're talking about wholehearted leadership. And we've been talking about some of the content from his book, Engagement. Well, actually, his book, We, um, How to Increase Performance and Profits Through Full Engagement. Um, but he also has a book called Engagement 2.0. I highly recommend you can get more information at www kevincruz.com and that's k-r-u-s-e for the last name and so before the break we were actually talking about what is wholehearted leadership and and some of the uh, three the drivers of engaged uh, of an engaged workplace and so you mentioned growth and recognition and trust can you expand on some of those and how a leader could perhaps inspire this and maybe have this happen in his organization to to really flourish yeah olivia it's a great great thing to drill down on it and and as you mentioned 
you know, the role of the leader, you know, that's something we saw also is um, your, your relationship with your manager or the behaviors of your manager, your, your, your immediate supervisor, they control most of how you feel about work. Um, Gallup suggests that, that 70% or more of the variance in engagement comes from the, the individual manager. And this is a big aha for, for people in, in big companies because, you know, think of all the things that, that the C-level does on mission, vision, values, benefits, uh, corporate responsibility initiatives, all these things. And yet, it comes right back down to none of that matters as much as my relationship with you as my as my leader, mm-hmm. and and where you see this is really easily is in um, say large retail organizations. You know whether it's a a Walmart or a Target or a, a Burger King. You know where overall the company is going to have one engagement score, and then you go restaurant to restaurant, store to store, and it might be. You know, 4.5 out of 5.0, 4.4 out of 5.0, 4.6 out of 5.0, 2.7 out of a 5.0. What just happened? Same CEO, same training, same hiring, same systems. The store manager is different. The restaurant manager is different. And so how can someone, how can we each as a leader um, create a culture that fosters growth, recognition, and trust? Let's take growth to begin with. You know, it's it's not about giving feedback as much as it is about what I like to call you know giving feed forward. Mm. You know, feedback is so much. Um, you know, I'm not a big fan of of like annual performance reviews. Um, mm. the, annual performance reviews enable bad managers to delay feedback and to focus on all the things that have gone wrong right before we then announce your your pay raise. And you know. Early on, I was so non-confrontational and I had a need to be liked and all this stuff that I, I would I would never give feedback when, when I should. You know, if um, uh, let's say I've got uh, my programmer, Carlos, and he started coming in late and it's impacting, you know, his 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 coworkers, you know, I would think, ah, you know, he's. He's coming in late. I should talk to him about it. But um, geez, you know, he's such a key employee. I'd hate to hate to make him mad. I'll just make a note of this for the annual review in mm. nine months, right? Right. Um, and, and you kind of stick it in your backpack of of all the things you're going to talk to someone about that they should have done better in the year. You know, feed forward coaching is about just that: being a coach, and you can coach on, "Hey, you just did a great job today on X," or "Hey." Here's um, here's what you did with why. Here's the negative impact uh, it had. Let's let's talk about that. And so, um, making sure you're giving a lot of feedback as close to the time and place of of you know occurrence is is one key. And the second way leaders can really help with growth is just by sitting down every six months and having a one-on-one conversation uh, w- with each direct report about about their career path. You know, I it's it's a casual thing. It's not with an HR person in the room. This has nothing to do with a review. It's more like, Olivia, just wanted to check in with you. You know, wh- what are your career goals over the next one, three, five years? Mm-hmm. Do you think you can accomplish that here in this organization? Um, who do you think you need to know? What do you need to learn? What skills do you need to have to get there? And then, you know, my job isn't to guarantee that you're going to get there. I'm not going to promise it. Mm-hmm. But as a coach... As a leader, I'm going to be on the lookout for things. So, 
you know, maybe during a slow time, I'll let you go job shadow someone else to see, you know, if that's a good career path for you. Maybe I'm going to assign you onto a project team, not because you're going to make a big difference to the team outcomes, but because you're going to get to know some of the people on the team. It's a developmental uh, experience. Mm. So, you know, these two things of just coaching in the moment and having career conversations notice that they don't take a lot of time and they didn't take anything out of the corporate budget. These aren't things that cost a lot of money. And yet knowing that I am, I am learning, I am growing, I've got a, a leader coach who knows what my career goals are and is giving me some advice, you know, that's going to help, help my engagement uh, quite a bit. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think what you're saying really speaks to something that people need and don't always know it. And that's just to feel seen for who they are. Yes. So if you're, you know, just asking somebody like, what are your dreams or what are, what do you want to achieve? And it may be in within the context of the company, but still, I, I think people like that or, or get more, get fed more from that than being ignored and even given a little bit more money. So I, think- I- Oh, you you are so smart on this. And when I am doing um, uh, live talks, I have a slide that shows the um, the research about engagement and feedback. And it's fascinating because you know what what it what it shows people is that look, if you can give feedback to someone and it's strengths based, well, that's that's great, and you get the most uh, engagement from that. Your team would be overall sixty one percent engaged. If you focus only on people's weaknesses, so you're only telling people what they've done wrong, what they could be doing better, Mm -hmm. that engagement is 45%. Um, When does engagement go to 2%? When there is no feedback. It's exactly what you said, Olivia, because, you know, all this time I'm thinking as a bad manager that I'm doing Carlos a favor because I'm not getting in his face every day about something. Meanwhile, Carlos, what's he thinking? Geez, doesn't Kevin care about me? Okay. I, he doesn't say a word to me. Do, does he know I exist? Does he care about my career? He cared about me. Why isn't he giving me tips to advance and succeed? Yeah. So that's that was a big aha for me is understanding that, look, give a lot of positive you know, reinforcement as well if you can. But even negative feedback is better than no feedback. People want that, want to know that they are seen, that, that they that they matter. Well, absolutely. And I wanted to also just go back to your comment about feed forward. I love that term and the fact that you really are saying people need to hear the good and the bad. And and maybe there's some days where the feedback's only good, right? That you right. don't wait until it's bad. And I Yeah, so, hopefully most days. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Um I had one manager that used to just come and check in with me every day just to say hello and I I really found that to be valuable because a lot of the work I did was very autonomous, you know, doing long-term statistical projects. And so uh, I really appreciated that. Um, And the other thing I thought of was this concept of an approval sandwich. Have you ever heard of this? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Which, you know, it can, I think, even sound manipulative. But if it's genuine and you know you're giving somebody good information, when you have to deliver bad information, you try to package it between some positive stuff. So. Um, right, that right. Makes, makes a lot of sense. Well, your manager, Olivia, that, that would do the check-in, I mean, that reminds me as, you know, talking about the second big driver, which is which is recognition. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a, um, a, a a boss once. It was after my first business uh, had failed, and this was the YMCA shower day, so I really had no money. And 
I um, so I went to a temp agency until I could find work. I just said, I, I need money immediately. Send me out on some job. Mm-hmm. And because I could <laughs> was always on computers, I could type really fast. So I took a typing test and they said, all right, we're going to send you out and you're going to be a secretary at this <laughs> pharmaceutical company. So, so here I go in and there was uh, there, there, you know 10 desks lined up. And, and they called us secretaries. Uh, this was you know, 25 years ago. Oh. And it was nine women all between, you know, probably the age of 30 and 50 and me, you know, 22-year-old guy. <laughs> and we all were assigned one of the executives in this pharmaceutical company. And I, I worked there for probably six months. And I learned a lot, a whole lot in that role. And one of the things, his, na- his name is Bill William. Um, my boss, he was the only one that did it. Um, before he would leave at the end of the day, he would come over to my little cube area and he would just say thanks. And sometimes it was specific. Thanks, Kevin, for filing all those files, you know, that had been cluttering up my office for six months. I feel so much better now that those are put away. See you tomorrow. You know, he and some people could say, oh, that's contrived. He was just on autopilot thanking you every day. I don't view it that way. I, it, melt, it felt good to receive that. He went out of his way. He remembered me and he acknowledged how I had made a difference uh, in his day. I, I was a temporary secretary and he was doing that. I mean, that's a great sign of wholehearted leadership. And back to your, your point, even about growth, you know, we want recognition is about feeling appreciated. And so just that verbal thank you meant a lot. Now, we tend to value thanks by the amount of time someone's put into it. So like a handwritten thank you note is even better, right? Because we're like, whoa, you know, that person just sat down and wrote a note. Um, But that that three-step model is another thing that any manager can do. Uh, it, it can be, you know, you, you say thanks explicitly, you mention the behavior, and then you link it back to like uh, uh, one of your values or one of your key initiatives. Mm. You know, Carlos, thank you for coming in on the weekend and finishing that software module. It enabled us to, you know, hit our release deadline on time and shows your dedication to our our customers. Thanks again. You know, it's that three-part thank you. And, you know, it makes us feel that that we're being recognized for our efforts. And again, it's like, hey, you know, they know that they know that I exist. That's yeah, so powerful. So you talked about the three, um, we talked about growth and a recognition. So how do you build trust? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, last and certainly not least, because without trust, uh, it's hard to activate the other sometimes. You know, trust isn't um, so much about that ethics piece. It's about this future confidence. So people want to know that they're going somewhere collectively. The company's going somewhere. They are going somewhere. And there's a plan to get there. And um it doesn't have to be complicated. One of the things, like uh, uh, Jim Collins wrote the great book, you know, Good to Great, and he talks about mm-hmm. companies should have a BHAG, a big, hairy, audacious goal, a mm-hmm. BHAG. Yep. And it's the same kind of concept. And my favorite example comes from Coca-Cola. So, you know, Coca-Cola is a massive organization, right? I mean, they don't just do, do Coke. They have thousands of products, you know, SKUs in their uh, in their in their in their management, they're in every country in the world. You know they've got a very complicated um, business model, and so you know that somewhere is a Coca-Cola strategic plan that is 
been thought through, detailed out. It's probably a thousand pages. You know, it, it would sink to the bottom of a, of a pool. It's so big and, and hefty. They can't expect everybody to know what that strategic plan is. So instead, Coca-Cola has what, what they call, they boiled it all down into two, uh, two words, Coca-Cola vision, Coca-Cola vision. And everybody knows what that means. If you're to stop the person who is uh, putting Coke products up on the shelf in your, in your grocery store and say, hey, you know, what's the strategic plan of Coca-Cola? They wouldn't say, they, they think you're crazy. You, mm. you say, what's Coca-Cola vision all about? They'd say, oh, oh. That means we're going to double our revenue 2020 by the year 2020, hmm. you know, 2020 vision. Now, could they tell you anything more about it than that? Probably not. You know, if you're a manager at Coca-Cola, you'd probably know that then they also have the, the six P's and I can't remember all of them, but it's like, you know, product and people and positioning, you know, it drills down uh, more, more deeply, but people want to know, okay, the, the higher-ups have set a flag on the top of the hill. I know where we're going. I know there's a plan to get there. And here's how I fit in uh, to that plan. And, and many people will come back to me and say, well, Kevin, I'm a, I'm a manager in our accounting department. I've got three people report to me. I'm not the CEO. I can't come up with our company BHAG. Well, first of all, I would say if you don't have, if the company doesn't have one, you know, grab the annual report, grab the, the CEO's last speech, grab a pizza with your, your team members and just say, hey, let's make up the BHAG that you know we think it should be. Just do it for fun. Yeah. At the very least, you could do it for your department. Fine. Mm-hmm. You're running a three-person team in accounting. Maybe you want to um, uh, uh, close the books 24 hours earlier. Maybe you want to get to zero mistakes. Maybe you want Want to uh, you know improve reduce the number of rounds with the auditors? Whatever it is in your world, there's a way that you can put that flag on the hill, cu- turn it into a little phrase, and then make sure everybody on your team knows about it. Ah, I'm part of this team. I know what we're trying to achieve, and it feels good to be part of that effort. That's that's what this future confidence is really all about. And that does feel so powerful. It brings out. I guess they sort of, you know, get pride of ownership in a way and um, connected to the rest of the people to try to work together to achieve it. You know, I think they say if you don't have a goal, you're never going to get there, right? That's even, right. Even That's if you, right. We, we all want purpose. And, and even if that purpose is kind of coming from our external, as long as we're feeling part of that team, it feels good. Yeah, that that's great. Well, we're actually – up on another break. This has just been really fun and going quickly. I just want to reintroduce my guest today is Kevin Cruz, and you can learn more about him at Kevin Cruz, K-R-U-S-E.com. Um, he's uh, written a few books. We've been talking about Engagement 2.0, great book that you can get off his website or Amazon, and, and uh, we'll be back in a few minutes. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Does your business, like many, face obstacles to becoming successful? Would you love to have an open forum of entrepreneurial ideas and best practices brought to you each week? Tune in for the second stage with hosts Brendan Anderson and Jeffrey Cadlick. 
We'll spotlight entrepreneurs and growing companies that are creating a vibrant economic base, as well as addressing some of the obstacles that could be standing in the way of your success. Listen Mondays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Now there's a new destination for video content, voiceamerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us support you. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to Quantum Business Insights with Olivia Parr-Rood. To reach the program with questions or comments, please send an email to show at oliviagroup.com. That's show at oliviagroup.com. Now, back to... To Quantum Business Insights. Hi, Olivia here. I'm back with my guest, Kevin Cruz, and we're talking about wholehearted leadership. And um, before the break, we were talking about some of the ways to get employees engaged. And what I'd love to explore now is how do leaders, how do you bring in this kind of change as a leader or or maybe as a, an organization that wants to embrace wholehearted leadership, what are some of the things that they could do? Yeah, that, that's a great question because, uh, you know, leader, this is a different type of leadership and you know, people will think, oh, employee engagement is going to cost a lot of money or how, how can we do it or it's all this soft stuff. And, you know, one, one of my favorite cases is uh, Campbell Soup. And I mentioned Doug Conant. You know, they brought him in in the year 2000 when their sales were declining. They lost half their stock price in one year. Wow. People thought they might go out of business. Uh, and he was brought in to turn the place around. And, and when he showed up, he was told, Doug, Campbell Soup has the worst employee engagement scores of the entire Fortune 500. That's what you're faced with here. And Doug is a wholehearted leader. And so while the outside world wanted him to announce, you know, some big round of layoffs or, you know, some acquisition or sell off a division, you know, Doug said, listen, if you want to win in the marketplace, you must first win in the workplace. Mm. I'm, I'm committed to employee engagement. And so, you know, year by year, they undertook an effort to where they went from from having the worst scores to the best scores. Um, the a, a a great company, uh, a very you know, best in class company will have ten engaged workers for every one disengaged worker. He got it to twenty three to one. I mean, it was just incredible. That's and impressive. So, yeah, very impressive. And, and you can only imagine, you know, being uh, you know. Uh, this hundred-year-old company located in Camden, New Jersey, getting beat up selling cans of soup, and some guy comes in and says, "We're going to engage everyone and make you love your jobs." Right? Yeah, right. <laughs> Probably thought he was crazy. Mm. Um, 
but but the way companies can do this is is like this. First, like anything, if you want something to improve, you should measure it. And so um, a, a best practice is every six months to once a year, uh, an organization should do an employee engagement survey of their workers. It doesn't have to be these hundred question monsters that everybody are sending out. There's you know, three or four key questions around engagement uh, uh, as a measure of your engagement and then drivers of engagement as well. Once you have that data, old school employee engagement, this is where they got it wrong. It was all driven from the, the C-suite. So they would say, oh, we got to do that survey stuff. Let HR do it. Oh, I see the data six months after we sent the survey out. It looks a little soft. Let's do another summer picnic. Let's spiff up our benefits. You know, let's freshen up our vision and roll it out. Mm-hmm. As we mentioned at, in the beginning of our chat, that's not the stuff that drives engagement, right? It all has mm-hmm. to do with teams and their managers. It's not about picnics and parties. So what a, uh, a effective um, approach is you take your survey data and you make sure that every manager gets his or her data. So, Olivia, if you're managing five people, you're not just going to see the score of the entire company. You're going to see your score. Mm-hmm. You know, you uh, the company overall is a 4.5 out of 5, which is tremendous. Uh, you are a 4.0 out of 5, so you're actually un- beneath average. All of a sudden, managers realize, I'm in engaging my people above or below the average of the entire organization. It's not some abstract like this will never work or, you know, this works in other industries, not ours. You're getting a score against your peers in the same company. And then the key, the next key is to share it with your team. And this goes back to that vulnerability, right? Mm -hmm. So just imagine, you know, let's say I've got a, 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 you know, an average score going on. I gather my team members in for a one-hour meeting, and I say, listen, overall, you know, uh, you guys scored me as a 3.5 out of 5.0, which is average. And the good news is, you know, on this little growth thing, you guys saying I'm a 4.0, that's pretty good. So I guess you think I'm, you know, you guys are learning and advancing, and and things are good on that mark. But look at this recognition thing. You guys gave me a 2, and I want to get better at that. I want to get better at recognition. So what would have to happen in this company, in this department, on our team for you to answer that at a higher level? What would a five look like? So the answers are now coming from the bottom up, has nothing to do with with the C-level or the head of HR. And all of a sudden, I mean, when I used to do this with with, uh, my my larger teams, I would learn all kinds of fascinating things. I remember one time uh, I got the survey back and, you know, my, this was later on, and my scores were generally pretty high, but I had a really low score on a question around, um, we have the tools that we need to be effective in our jobs. Now, I go, I go back to the normal emotional thing. I'm defensive, right? right? What are you talking about? You know, they don't have the tools. Don't they know I used to sleep under my desk and shower at the YMCA? <laughs> I had one junky old computer that had to do everything. They're in ergonomic chairs. They've got these nice cubes. They've all got double monitors. I mean, I'm steaming. What are they talking about? They don't have the tools. So uh, miracle of miracles, I ask them, right? So, hey, we got dinged on this score. What would it take for you guys to score this differently? And they all said the same thing. They said, we need one Macintosh computer. I said, what? Well, they were all running Windows computers, and that was fine for most things, but we had gotten a client who they were running on Macintosh computers, and unbeknownst to me, 
it was, they all knew that I didn't like Max. <laughs> so no one wanted to bring it up until it was time for the survey, but it was causing problems with like developing on Windows and testing and not having a machine to test on and blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, wait a minute, if I go out and spend two grand on a Mac and we keep it in the corner and you guys can all share it when you need to test software or convert a Word document, you guys will be happy? They said, yeah. And that was it. Wow. I mean, it was completely something that was like a bee in their bonnet that I didn't know about. And if I had thought, as I often did, I was the smartest guy in the room, I'd say, geez, you know, the, they say they don't have the equipment they need. I guess I'd better upgrade all their software packages. I'd better go to uh, get a faster copier machine. Like, I would think I would know the answer, and I would have been completely wrong on it. So just to summarize all this, organizationally, one, you got to measure it. Two, you got to share it at the manager level. Three, manager needs to get the answers from their direct reports. It's a grassroots bottom-up approach rather than ivory tower down. So it's that makes a lot of sense. And I think, as we are saying earlier, to figure everything out at the top, it's just not possible because there's so much complexity. Is there a way that you can see or that companies are doing that it wouldn't even, you wouldn't even have to wait till that survey, but that people either would be able to make anonymous suggestions or even feel safe enough to come to you and say, this is what we need. Yeah, that's absolutely. I mean, look, in in, in great cult workplace cultures, it's, it is a culture of safety. It's a, it's a culture of trust, right? So mm-hmm. if I see that my boss is being vulnerable, you know, Kevin just told me that he doesn't have a clue about what to do on X or that he screwed up over on Y. Well, then I'm going to feel okay to ask a certain question, make a certain suggestion, or to to take some risk and, and make a mistake. These are all good things. So ideally, you get to that place where people are willing to share honestly and have honest debates. And you just realize like, look, it's okay to argue passionately about the idea. We're critiquing ideas, not mm-hmm. people, right? Yeah. Now, with technology today, too, it's easier than ever before to have, you know, digital suggestion boxes and town halls and all of these other things. I don't think the survey should replace any of that. I mean, I think that real-time communication, the more, the better. What's good about the survey is that it sticks a number on it, and it's anonymous. Mm. You know, so right. we have a, 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 you know, quantitative number that says, oh, engagement C seems to be trending up or, oh, we did this one thing and look at it just tanked our engagement for, for, you know, the the last survey. Mm -hmm. So ideally you're doing both some of the real time stuff. And then, you know, every six months to one year, you're doing the the quantitative check-in as well. That uh, makes sense. So um, any other thoughts on how to actually get these going because there's another thing I'd love to ask you about in your book engagement 2.0 you mentioned that being in an organization of engaged employees or being a leader it helps your health your family and maybe even your sex life right (laughs) right. so who would have thought yeah really (laughs) this is a stretch for this show so I'd love to (laughs) hear about some of the the ways that it just you know makes people happier in general I guess yeah, well, you know, and, and you know, I'll I'll keep it PG, but this this is really interesting stuff. Like when when we started doing research for the book, I assumed I would find all the great research, which I did, that links employee engagement to higher sales, better customer service, higher profits. We found all that business stuff. Mm-hmm. What surprised me is when we found all the personal stuff. 
So it's fascinating. People who are dissatisfied at work, they, they weigh on average five pounds more. They're twice as likely to have a stroke or heart attack, which is the same increased uh, risk factor as smoking. So think about all the stuff that oh we're God. doing to try to prevent smoking. You know, And, and when it comes to uh, uh, coronary risk factors, having a bad boss, being unhappy at work is just as dangerous as, as smoking. I mean, it's mind-blowing. Um, people, um, uh, you know, pe- people, their kids are, if they're dissatisfied at work, their kids are more likely to, to, to act out in school. You have less intimacy in your marriage. You know, why, what, what how, how is this, how is this happening? Mm-hmm. Well, psychologists call it the, the, the spillover and the crossover effect. So our emotions at work, whether they're good or bad, they're going to spill over into our personal life and they're going to cross over to those around us. And, you know, I gotten a hint of this, the, um, the, the best compliment I ever got was, was not from someone who worked for me, but from his spouse. And she came up <laughs> at a holiday party and she said, I want to thank you for making my marriage better. And I didn't know what she was talking about. I certainly didn't know anything about her marriage. And she told me a little story. And she said, when my hu- before my husband started working for you, he would come home every day and he would be so grumpy, I wouldn't even want to be around him. And she kind of chuckled at that. She says, when he joined your team, and this is the line I'll never forget. She says, when he joined your team, he went back to being the man I married. Wow. And that was just so powerful. All this leadership stuff that I was doing because I wanted to make more money, you know, I wanted to, to have the company do well. Mm-hmm. It turns out it was having an impact, you know, outside the office walls. And, and it, you know, we can all sort of relate to that. You know, we have a, I have a bad day at work. I come home, I'm grumpy. I flip through the mail. I open a beer and I put on ESPN sports center and mm-hmm. watch TV completely ignoring my kids and, and, and my spouse. You know, if I'm having a great day uh, at work, then uh, I come home, I'm happy, I don't have so much stress, you know, I hug my wife, give her a kiss, ask her how her day was, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, ask the kids how they're doing, you crack open a bottle of wine even maybe. I mean, all of a sudden, the whole relationship dimension changes. Our, you know, and people, this whole work-life balance idea is, not only does it not work, it's dangerous because it's giving a myth that you can bottle it up. You know, I hear people say, Oh, it's okay. I've got a two-hour drive home after work, so it gives me plenty of time to turn on the radio and to leave work behind. There's tons of studies. You aren't leaving your work behind. And if you think adding a two-hour commute at the end of your day is the answer, you know, there's there's deeper questions going on. So, you know, Olivia, I don't know if you've experienced that yourself, but that was the surprise to me. It's like employee engagement. Not only does it drive business results, but whether it's your own happiness, your own health, or that of your family members – you know, it's it's really remarkable the impact it can have. Well, that makes so much sense. And I was at a workshop, a leadership training once where some fellow was sent there because he was very difficult at work and he was a, a manager. So it was it was a leadership training. So he didn't really want to be there, but he did finally get engaged with the group. There was a lot of trust and safety built. And in, it was a five-day training, and in one, at one time, 
one of the uh, group processes, he got in touch with some grief around losing his mother at a very young age. Right. And he actually, it's it, they kept us up late because, you know, it kind of cuts down our defenses. So it was like three in the morning and he's sitting there crying, holding a teddy bear, right? right it was right. so powerful. The next day he was much softer. And then we learned later that he was in the process of a divorce and he stopped it and got back in good terms wow. with his wife and they had a child. So that's amazing. Yeah. So if you think about the kinds of changes that leaders could go through themselves and, and then invite for the, I mean, it's not just wholehearted leadership. It's kind of being a wholehearted employee, right? We get to bring our whole self to work and, and be vulnerable and be seen. And then the company does better as well. So it's, that's exactly right. Is it, 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 every employee, you know, it doesn't, it's not just for, for the managers, bring your, your whole self to work and um, it leads to better business results. I, you know, I like to, um, we've covered a lot of stuff, engagement, growth, recognition, trust. If I had to boil it down to just one secret, you know, when, when people, when, when companies hire me to come in and talk to their people, it all boils down to this is the secret that, that they need their leaders to know. Mm-hmm. You can be tough on the standards, but tender with the people. And I've got lots of friends who are you know, generals in the Marine Corps and all the rest. Boy, the Marine Corps, they've got lots of standards, how you wear your hair, how you do your exercise and everything else. But they care about you as a person and your family, and they really look to protect each other. Tough on standards, tender with the people. Boy, great words to end with. So thank you, Kevin, so much for being my guest today. And I hope you'll come back and visit us again. Absolutely. Thanks, Olivia. My pleasure. So next week, back by popular demand, my guest will be Gene Pease of Vestrix. And we'll be discussing human capital analytics and workflow optimization. So be sure to tune in for a full description of this and other upcoming shows as well as access to all past shows and guest bios, please visit www.quantumbusinessinsights.com. I'm your host, Olivia Parrood, saying thank you for tuning in to Quantum Business Insights, and have a great week. Thank you for tuning in to Quantum Business Insights. Please join your host, Olivia Parr-Rood, again next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time, on the Voice America Business Channel. Enjoy your weekend, and we'll talk again next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.